Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello listeners, you're on Big Little Small Talk with me, Megan O'Hara-Sullivan, and I'm sitting in a room surrounded by gold records, celebrity pictures, with our very own celebrity here in Toowoomba, who many of you would know from various parts of her life, and it's with great pleasure that I say hello to Ruby Slippers. Hello, Megan. That was quite a wrap to start with. <laughs> well, it's, it's only the half of it, but I want oh. to start, Ruby, with your name. So what's in a name? Where does Ruby Slippers come from? Because okay. it's obviously not your real name. No, your it's Your real not. name is Michelle Schneider. Well, my real name is Michelle Schneider, born Michelle Laurie, a daughter of a truckie, so proud to be a truckie's daughter, uh, and married John Schneider 38 years ago. And Ruby Slippers was born in 1991, thanks to a good friend of mine. Her name was Carolyn Barker. And Carolyn was the newsreader for Vision TV, let's say Win TV, Star TV, all the TVs, that all those names that we went through in those early years of television here. And she decided that she thought I needed to be famous and I needed a name that people would listen for, you know, that they go, oh, Ruby Slippers. So one night she just said this and it kind of stuck. And then everyone started calling me Ruby. And then I went off to Tamworth and performed down there as Ruby Slippers. And it it just stayed with me. Were you a different person as Ruby Slippers oh, to Michelle funny. Snyder? Yeah, isn't that funny? Because so many people ask that. I don't know. I don't think so. I think performing is something that I love doing. I don't do much of it anymore. But when I would get on the stage, it's just this sense of freedom. So whether I'm Ruby Slippers, Michelle Schneider or little Shelley Laurie, it doesn't really change things. Mm -hmm. But it's stuck and you answered to Ruby. So tell me about the Toowoomba Country Music Club and the Crown Hotel and the Hot Prospect. Oh, the infamous Crown Hotel. Uh, I started, what happened was my dad was sick of me doing concerts in the lounge room. I was a legend in my lounge room. And he took me down to meet a friend of his, which was Owen Ray. And Owen Ray at the time had Royce Music House. And I went in, met Owen. He was also the president of the Toowoomba Country Music Club. And he said, I think it's a good idea if you come down and sing a song. So I worked with him rehearsing, bearing in mind I'm like 12 years old. And it all went quite well. Down I go to this one night that they used to have the Country Music Club every second Tuesday. And I got up on stage. I can still remember the songs, Megan. I sang The Crystal Chandeliers by Charlie Pryde. <laughs> Is anybody going to San Antonio and put another log on the fire? I was a rip-roaring hit. <laughs> but it was great. It was a great experience. And little did I know back then, because I was always had someone with me, I didn't know too much about the Crown Hotel, but it was very infamous in its day. Go out to the car and change the tyre. Yes, that's, that's the one. Goes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be one. singing that today, though, would you? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> now I'd be singing, let's go out and plug the car in so we can drive somewhere, wouldn't I? Was your love of country music because your father was a truck driver? Uh, yeah, I think that had a good deal to do with it. The, the music actually came from my grandfather who had a old-time dance band called the Blue Moon Orchestra. And my mum was in the band, my auntie was in the band, my uncle was in the band. And they played, you know, they had gigs every Saturday night, whether it be at uh, Blenheim Hall, Perseverance, 
Moringandan, Kabbalah, all those places. Uh, Moringandan Hall, of course, isn't there anymore. But that was kind of where the music came from. It was just always there. And I think we were just a family that we always had music playing. A lot of country, yes, mm, yes. Mm. Who else is in your family, Ruby? I have a brother who is 11 years younger than I, who says that it's like having a second mother which is probably very true. And that's it. There's just the two of us. So, um, There was yeah. always always music in the household. Always Any music. playing instruments as well? Uh, not I. My mum played uh, a bit of piano. And as I said, my granddad played guitar. So that was enough. I was more keen to use the vocals as the instrument. I just said before about Hot Prospect. Who and what is Hot Prospect? <laughs> Hot Prospect. That was the first band that I was in, first uh, rock band. I met the drummer, Ricky Smith, who's known to a lot of people in Toowoomba, through the Toowoomba Country Music Club. And he said he was starting a band called, you know, they, they were looking for a singer that could also sing a bit of country music as well as singing rock music. It was a very crossover at that time in the 80s, the country music. So I went and give it a go. No, I think I was 14 when I joined the band. And that was it. We were, I was in the band for about three years. We what sort worked of places everywhere. were you playing? You're playing at the Crown? We worked Matador at the Crown. Lounge. Matador Lounge. Uh, I'll give you an example of a weekend. This, the bands out there, that if anyone hears this, they'll be going, wow, what happened to that? Bunch of whingers, you reckon? Well, no, well, they might be because they, there's not as much work as there used to be. We'd work sometimes on a Thursday night at Charlie's Bar, which was Telford's or the Birkin Wills. Then we would work at the Rutherford Hotel, the Matador Lounge, on a Friday night. And on a Saturday afternoon, we would usually do the Matador's Beer Garden. And then we would go back across the road to Charlie's Bar on the Saturday night. And then Sunday, we used to work at Caesar's Palace in Russell Street. <laughs> Sunday night. Tell me about being really a child. You're mm. virtually a child working in an adult industry like that. Uh, it was good because I was extremely protected. I was blessed to have the guys in the band treated me like a little sister and looked after me. So I was very blessed with that. Mind you, you know, you had to close your ears to something. Some things were a bit rough at times. Not so much the band, probably the audiences. I always felt that, actually, my mum puts it really well. My mother used to say to me, you're 100 years old. So I think I was very much what you would call an adult child. So being 14 in my first rock band, I think a lot of people thought I was probably 18 or 20. And was there an expectation that you'd be not highly sexualised, but yeah. sort of a little bit, you know, and people don't want to come along on a Saturday night to see a kid, do they? No, they don't. And the funny thing is that, that you do say that. It was probably to the detriment of my career in a lot of ways, and I'm going to say right across the board, of not being a person that would do what people expected you to do or what they wanted you to do, whether it be the short skirt, the low-cut blouse. I used to dress very well, but as far as that goes, that was not going to happen. So I was just so excited when Annie Lennox hit the scene and wore the suits because I started doing that too. And it was just not going to happen. Those horrible, you know, you would have horrible things yelled out at you at times. But again, I think, I don't know, you, you learn to be a bit tough and just let it run off you, right. water off a duck's back. Yeah. <laughs> Might have been um, a good grounding for your later career in politics perhaps, yeah. but we can talk about that a little bit <laughs> oh, later <yes>. on. <laughs> so would, would you have always had your mother or your father at the gigs with you? No, 
no, no, no. My brother being so much younger was still a little guy. My dad, his life was extremely, even though he had his own transport business, he'd still be away a lot of the time. So my mum needed to be with my brother. And again, they were just pleased that the fellows, you know, that I would be working with were always good guys. You know, they could trust them in a car. That was usually my dad's biggest fear. You know, tell them not to go fast, that they can't do this and da-da-da-da-da. But it was just one of those things that we were lucky. And I, as I said, it was, what, 40-odd years ago now. Things have changed a lot. Well, that was my going to be my next question. Would you allow, allow your daughter to do it, do you think? Oh, well, she's not interested in it, but if she was... <laughs> uh, I think it's one of those things, again, you'd have to really sit down and discuss. Mm. I wouldn't be prepared to stop her from doing something that she absolutely loved. She's blessed that she would like to be a psychologist and she's studying for that. My son is a drummer, so he's been working a lot since he was very young. So same thing, you know, before he got his license, it was always a worry on who he was working with, where they were going or how far out of town they were going. So it's, it's always a worry, I think you worry about you find anything yeah, to worry about as a parent do. for sure but I mean just sort of whether the times have changed isn't it interesting that your father he was worried about them going too fast not that his daughter was going into pubs and a whole lot of alcohol no. and a no. whole lot of men and no and I think I think a lot of that was because we had such a great relationship as a, as a family and I believe well my dad passed a couple of years ago and I miss him so much every day we were just such good friends You'd, I think I would have never have done anything that he wouldn't have thought was right. So that's good. It's a good upbringing. A good grounding. When you were performing, Ruby, did you were you conscious of the fact that your performance was evolving and you were able to sort of hold the audience in the palm of your hand? Did you have a moment where you started to realise that you were able to manipulate the audience, not in a bad way, no, but no. that they were responding to you? Yeah. Um, I wish I could say that happened when I was younger. And I, I don't believe it did. I, I think you get to a point as a performer where you do know that you've got the audience's attention by what you're singing, what you're speaking about. And I found that came much later in my singing career, in my overall uh, even speaking career, that being able to engage an audience, you have to have a little bit of life's experience. And I think that those early days, good grounding, Good uh, getting you ready, <laughs> good getting you ready for bigger stages or, or what have you. But yeah, I think that came much later. Yeah. Were you, were you confident in yourself as a performer? Like, did you like the way that you looked and um, the way that you sounded and you were just having fun? Or were you, was that before you sort of got conscious about the way that you look or, yeah. you know? I, no, I was never happy with the way I looked. I was never happy with believing that I was up to being who I was and this is one of those conversations that can go <laughs> full on. Well, um, I want to talk about your, your, your body image issues a little bit later on, but can we just um, now I wanted to sort of just talk about you finished school. I wanted to talk about meeting your husband, John. You made reference to him earlier. So you met him when you were 16. I uh, started going out with John when I was 16. I actually met him when I was 13 at a youth group, and <laughs> which is so funny because he kind of liked my best friend. 
And I thought, well, I sort of kind of liked him, but you know, there was no interest. Then one night the band was playing, he was out um, and we got to talking and it was, I think it was the next night. It was the next night at Caesar's Palace when he asked me out. So that was in 1982. So here we are all these years on. But John was a St. Mary's boy, went to St. Mary's, played football. Uh, learnt how to play guitar because he thought if you can't beat him, you've got to join him and ended up being in a band with me and, and has been, you know, working with me when I do gigs, you know, for the past, gosh, 20, 25 years. All that time ago. Yeah. So you got engaged when you were 17 yes. and married at 18. Yes. How, how was that viewed by your parents, by your friends? I mean, that's really young. It is really yeah. young, isn't mm, it? Mm. How was it viewed? A lot of people, I think, were saying behind our backs, you know, it won't last, it won't last, they're too young, you know. A lot of the band people that I was involved with, a lot of the musos were going, oh, are you joking? Mm. What are you doing? Mm. You're ruining your career, blah, blah, blah. And we didn't feel like that at all. It was just, it was just one of those things that meant to be. And I guess, if anything, being married so young, we grew up together. So that's been nice mm, you grew in the same direction you feel. yes yeah could have oh, gone either there, way yeah I think there were times where you go you know you go off on on different tangents and you think you know nothing's easy nothing's easy and I'd say to John we laughed a couple of times because we got to 21 years and we said we've made it through seven three seven year itches you know and here we are at 38 coming up <laughs> So still so young, yeah. exactly. I'll just remind the listeners that they're on 4DDB and we're talking to our very own Toowoomba celebrity, Ruby Slippers, who's here telling me about the, the parts in her life that where she's got to at the moment, we're only at 17 and getting married. So you and John formed a band then. Was that word of mouth? Is yes, that we correct? did. Yes, yeah. we formed yeah. that band back in 1985, something like that, and worked worked very hard just as hard as we did in other bands that I'd been involved with and had a lot of success had a lot of success did some recording made the local charts with a couple of songs that we made like top 10 or whatever they don't do that now we don't have charting for the bands or, or whatever but recording in those days was pretty non-existent for a lot of groups so uh, I was very blessed I had a fellow I worked with John Fielding who was right into all that so he felt it was important that as a band we needed to record and he was right he was very right so we did some original material which was great um, pity the venues weren't as for original material then as they are now right because that was very difficult so was the music scene fairly big here in Toowoomba? There was the Dancing Bear um, oh, and DDIAE. Right. Were oh, you playing goodness. at those sort of places? No, I didn't get to play at the Dancing Bear. I guess we could have. It was just something that we didn't sort of look at. We ended up doing a lot of work in Brisbane and the coast. And I think Word of Mouth was a band that actually achieved that. We actually worked... There was one stage we said we were working anywhere from Rockhampton down to the Gold Coast. It was just amazing and we just had a good agent and so life was always interesting. At that stage, was it? were you sort of dreaming, you know, we're going to make it big, we're going to go to London and we're going to all of that sort of thing? Or? Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. 
Yeah. And that option came up at one stage, not for the band, but for myself and for two other ladies that I was working with at the time, two girls. And we were called the Hot Toys. The Hot Toys. The Hot Toys. Oh, dear. And the vocals were just incredible. They were, it was just a, a vocal group that were just, it was just amazing. I haven't worked with anyone since that can top the sound of, of the myself and the two girls together. Yeah, yeah the, the harmonies girls. and the melodies it was unbelievable and, yeah. anyway we had this guy that was interested in us from virgin records and we really got steered into a direction of how great it was going to be going to london and then we were really let down because it involved us paying a lot of money and you know it was one it wasn't meant to be Sliding meant doors to be. moment. Yeah. I'm picturing the hair at that stage. That would have been pretty big, I would imagine. A lot of perms. Yep. Mine was very Annie. Very Annie, Annie Lennox. Lennox. Very yeah. short, spiky. And the other girls had big hair. The big perms. <laughs> the big perms and the big shoulder pads. Big perms. Big shoulder pads. So um, tell me what happened when you had that review from the manager from word of mouth and he said something about the lead singer. What did he say? Oh, okay. That was the... Uh, the agent who was who was getting us work and things and uh, we were sitting in the manager's office of the club we were playing at and he was there and he looked at me and he said you know what I really love the band tonight we're all sitting there really love the band you can get a lot of work but gee the singer's too fat too fat too fat and that's in reference to you wasn't yeah. it? yeah okay so what happened what what sort of spiral happened then for you Ruby <laughs> The spiral was ending up with bulimia. From that moment? You th- or it had always been hanging around? It had been hanging around, uh, you know, the diet pills and all that sort of rubbish. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that had been hanging around for a long time, but that really did it for me. That really set me on a very, very nasty roller coaster ride. And I guess I just, I sit back now and I think about it and I go, fancy allowing that to upset me so much. But it did because I was still young. I probably was maybe 20, 21, um, very conscious of how I look. And I've got to tell you, Megan, if, if I was to show you photos of myself at that time, you'd go, fat, what are you talking about? But every time I looked in that mirror, that's all I saw. Mm. And I just understand the girls or guys that go through the anorexia or the bulimia. And it's not good. It's not good. And it's also then that spiral of your brain not being fed properly too. So then that's all feeding into your issues of um, self-doubt and um, depression and anxiety and all of that. It just gets bigger and bigger and you catastrophize. So, yeah. Was it something that you have had to live with that black dog all your life? Or where did you feel, Ruby, you could get off the, the yeah. treadmill or the, um, the hamster wheel? Is well, it's better. interesting because it wasn't until probably the year 2000. I finally went to my... My doctor was such a beautiful man, retired now, of course. But I, I went to him and I said, look, I'm just not coping. I'm crying I'm sleeping I'm this I'm that I'm whatever because we always have to remember that bulimia or anorexia or alcoholism or drug addiction sex addiction everything is all part of mental health issues so mine I know is depression Uh, he sent me to a psychiatrist and it'd been years of him just saying to me listen I don't want to write you out a script for anything I want you to just go home, have a week off, you know, take it. He was just 
beautiful the way he would try and help me but he had got to the point where he said I cannot do this for you anymore I need to send you to someone and I went off to the psychiatrist and I've been with her forever and it was only last month that she retired so it's a You're long day you see them all out oh don't you? look I, it looks like that doesn't it but I got through it and being diagnosed with major clinical depression was an answer to a lot of things. So I started, I got on the road to recovery and and then I had a very big, big come down uh, years after, which I'll tell you about as we go. As we go, okay. I interviewed Heidi Iser, who you may have heard that interview and she is a plus size model and I don't even like saying the words plus size model. Yeah. She's a model, yep. you know? Yep. And, um, she talked about coming to terms with the way that she looks and um, that she doesn't want to necessarily be an ambassador for plus-size women, but she's come to terms with the cellulite on her thighs and all of this. And I think for women, until we start, A, talking about mental health issues, B, not <laughs> subscribing to the, the body myth, as Naomi Wolf would talk about it, but you're in, a, in an industry where um, you're constantly being judged by the way that you look, the way that you smile the way that you've got enough makeup on too much makeup I wanted to ask you about your radio career with 4GR so tell me about that you've got the number one breakfast program with John Crosh tell me how what was that like it was wonderful I uh, look back on that now and say how blessed I was to work with a professional such as John we had our disputes we had there could be love and there could be hate there was a lot of that that he does that person that you work with in radio particularly in those times becomes like a husband that is the way the relationship is I think what happened with 4GR is I left there in 2003 and people say it was because I was going to run for council and that was the biggest laugh ever because I had no intention of running for council. I left 4GR because they would not listen to me. They would not sit back and just go, okay, fair enough, you've got a point. Let's look at how we can change your hours, how we could change situations. It came back a lot to my depression, which they vowed and declared at the time that they knew nothing about, yet it was written up in a newspaper. And I was actually someone said to me oh you're in the paper yeah read what it's all about so you know the actual person at the time the the head of the the head of the bunch at the time tried to say they knew nothing of my depression so let me say this as ugly as it was at, at the end I look back now and go what a great time I had a great time I worked with great people and there were just obstacles that we were in the birthing days of what I term the big HR, okay, and the big PC, and all those names, or the me group of people. They did not want to see that I was a woman who was still breastfeeding my baby, which was very important, didn't affect me in any way. I went to work, did my job, worked hard, but they could not listen to me when I was saying, listen, there are issues happening on this program. Mm. There are issues. 
and you won't deal with them. Mm. Yeah, issues. Well, I'm uh, in a way. I'm I'm glad I asked that question, Ruby, because I actually didn't know that it it didn't end well. I'm sorry to hear no, that. No, that's all right. So how darling. long um, had you had you done that program? Oh, I'd been working. I'd been working with John for eight years. It was a long time. Uh, not on air though. I was I was the promo uh, girl. I'd go out in the the you you chick and do yeah. all that sort of stuff. Lots of silly stuff. It was great. It was really good. And then uh, we had the program and we won. We won the best breakfast show uh, in Australia, provincial category. That was huge. I got best newcomer. It was just a great time. And can I say, though, that in all the ugliness at the end, it was, how do I say, once I ended up being on council, I kind of got put into the chair of tourism and events so one of the events or a couple of the events I had to work with Borgia (laughs) so it was but we just look we let it go and we moved on and you know what they made some great changes so if anything I walked away with a moral win so that felt good okay yeah well there's two areas I wanted to go to now and you can choose which one you wanted to go to. You mentioned your career in local government. I want to talk about that. Yes. And the other, uh, well, three things, I guess. The other is that you had your daughter in 2003. Mm-hmm. And you had another profound thing happen in that at that same time. What was that? I became a Christian. Let's I met, start there. I met Jesus. Yeah, it was fabulous. The best thing that ever happened to me. So tell me about how that happened. I was going through, uh, before my daughter was born I had a a pregnancy pre that and it was about three months in I went to the doctor for a checkup no heartbeat and was just totally totally broken and I remember that night I was walking away from that doctor's office it was late evening I should say and I was walking near the chapel and I was so angry and I know that a lot of people uh, would talk about God to me and I would always go, oh, don't be silly, you know, don't be ridiculous. It's no such thing. Best fairy tale ever told, you know. But for some reason that night I just went to that chapel and I said, you know what, if you're real, why are you doing this to me? Why are you taking my child? I know that I haven't been, and this is me talking loud. Anyone would have thought I was nuts. I went, I know that I haven't been the best person around. I know that I've done things that, as we all do, we're sinners, you know. But why would you do this to me? And I I heard nothing, <laughs> of course. I'm sitting there going, waiting for an answer. As I was leaving, I heard, it's time to give over to God. I looked around <laughs> and I thought, I'm going mad. I thought, that's my mind. I'm going mad. But do you know what, Megan, from that day or from that night, I decided I would start following up a bit on God. And I started to read the Bible. And I started to probably get in touch with people that I knew were Christians and talk to them a lot more about different things. And I started to get a real, it was like a hunger, And then what should happen, I ended up running for council. Um, My girlfriend's 
talked me into it. They really did. They said, you've got to do this. You've got to make a mark. You, you're a Toowoomba girl. You've got to go for this. So I, I kind of did. I was in a bit of a dream. So when I got into council, it was around Easter time that I got a letter from the Salvation Army asking me to come to church because they knew that uh, this was important for me to do. And I'm going, okay, so then I'm sitting down scouring in my brain, who do I know in the army that's, you know, sent me? Then I went, it doesn't matter. Well, I went to that service on Good Friday and I never stopped going for a number of years. It was just so freeing, so wonderful. Both my children, because by the way, I ended up getting preggy again and having um, my baby girl. And it was that day, it was that day that I knew that Jesus was with me. I gave birth to her, they held her up in the air, and I just knew, I just knew. It was like a bright light just shone. And I gave my heart to the Lord, and my life has been absolutely blessed ever since. Incredible, incredible story. I'll just remind the listeners that they're on 4DDB and you're with me, Megan O'Hara Sullivan, in Big Little Small Talk. And we've got some big little small talk happening right now with Ruby Slippers, AKL Michelle Schneider. And she's told me just how um, she's found God and had a baby and got into council. That was a pretty big year Whoa. for you. In, it wouldn't, was it 2003? It must 2003, 2003 was it? 2004. Yeah. 2004, March 2004. Okay. I can remember the date, the 27th That's right, exactly. Uh, I want to talk about that in just yeah. two seconds, but, but just before we leave the topic of you finding faith, Ruby, how did that sit with John to be um, sort of a, 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 quite a transformation in your life, really? Ah, well, it was a transformation. He found he found it to be so good for me that I was so happy and so content and not going through the ups and downs that I'd been through over the years we've been together. He is an absolute stalwart. He's an amazing man. And I might say that uh, on his behalf, John was born a Catholic, brought up in Catholic schools, all that, but did not, did not practice his faith. And it was in, oh, I'm jumping forward a bit here, but it was in 2012 that he actually gave his life to Christ as well. And that was uh, a result of me with many prayers and, and encouragement to him. But he decided that it was, he just felt it was the right thing to do. Mm. And he also was very surprised at how that came about. So, Had you had much exposure to religion with your dad, with the truck driving and your mum and the um, music? And... Always, always knowing with them God existed. They always push that to me. There is a God. You know, we are this we must pray if someone was sick or whatever we must just you know it was never ever physically done but that it was said my dad very quiet on that very quiet on that until until uh, a couple of weeks before he passed and he surprised me he just blew me away with his comments about the lord right mm. yeah 
Wow. Um, he didn't sort of judge you for having such a transformation no. or, yeah, yeah. No, he, it was hard for him to get used to. I, I was very much, particularly my dad got throat, had throat cancer. So when all this happened, I uh, spent a lot of time praying and, and I would say to him, Dad, will you let me pray for you? Yes, darling, of course. You know, he always let me. I don't know how awkward he felt about that. Very private person and also from the old school. We don't talk about religion, politics, you know, those things. Anything that happens behind the bedroom door stays there. All that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think he was fine about it. Yeah. He just got a little awkward every now and then. <laughs> but I did get him to drive the bus for the Salvos for a while. <laughs> well, that was my other question. So you, you went to the Salvation Army Church and you stayed there. You've stayed there? No, no, I haven't stayed at the Salvos. I'm still very much a Salvo, but... Um, no, things change, and I think, uh, like anything, you you want to learn more, uh, do more for God, and it was just a time where I think that the time had come that we we moved on. So um, we've been very pleased to be uh, worshiping at Glenvale uh, Seventh Day Adventist Church for some time, and also we just like to really these days we like to have church at home we like to just sit around and study the bible and and pray and all those sorts of things it's really lovely yeah. it's lovely it's just wonderful that you found such peace okay let's talk about your career in local government okay so your girlfriends talked you into it yes they did and how did you go that first <sighs> run in 2004 how did i go 27th of march well, tell me about the result i became the number one um, councillor. I got the most votes. <laughs> um, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I was so, I was, I was so shocked. I can still remember that night. So shocked, so excited, so scared because I was the new kid on the block. I was still young, you know, compared to everyone else. Although Lyle Shelton was there with me and he was, he was still quite young. Uh, he used to always say to me, remember, Rubes, you're two years older than me. And I'd say, stop it, stop it. Uh, but it was, it was my growing up time. That's what I call it, my growing up time. Yes. Did you find that the other councillors were quite generous with you and quite um, willing to help you learn? It's funny you say that because we can all... I, I still get together with the girls now. We'll still catch up every six months. And I think that's lovely that that, that camaraderie stayed. But it was also the same with the guys. We had camaraderie with them. When the water debate happened, that was very ugly and things got very messy. Things got out of hand a lot. However, that was probably the one thing that separated us for a time. But when we lost, we had to get over it and move on. Now you can either keep that stuff and keep biting on it and letting it eat you away, or you can get on with the job that you're supposed to be doing. And that's what I'd like to think I did, and a number of them all did. I would say, you know, probably two people would, would have kept, you know, letting it tear them apart for the rest of their days, mm -hmm. yeah. So traditionally, um, 
it, since amalgamation, it had yeah. been that the person who got the highest vote became the deputy mayor. What happened with you? Well, that was supposed to be mine. Uh, what happened with me? I probably got advice from so many people telling me not to do it because I didn't have the experience. I look back today and think, eh, they were right, but I think I could have given it a shot. Am I bitter? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, but yes, I should have been. I should have been the deputy mayor. So, what happened in two thousand and eight at amalgamation? Then, okay, amalgam. Well, I truly believe Did you run in that election. Yeah, I truly believe that I was not going to make it into that council. Reason being. Uh, the water debate was huge. The water debate caused a lot of hate, a lot of angst. You know, Megan, I had women come up to me in the street, not particularly nice women, come up to me in the street right up to my face and tell me what sort of mother I was. It was horrendous. I can't begin to... It was horrendous. And, you know, one woman walked up to me and she just went on and on and I smiled and I said, look, thank you for your, you know, but it's, this is what it is, you know, da, 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 da. Well, then she hated my smile. <laughs> well, do you know how hard it is to stop smiling when someone tells you not to? <laughs> it wasn't good. So Ruby, it wasn't had you, good. through all of that, um, had you had your son through oh, while yes. you were on council? Yes, yes. I had my son when I was still at Fort Jihar. See, Harry... Harry was um, six when Maddie was born. So it's interesting. Yeah. 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 No, I got it all right. You're right. Around, boxed around. The right. You're right. So 2008 came. You did, you did well, but there was not much separating you from the other. Oh, yes. From so the, tell me about uh, what happened there whoever. from the 11th candidate. Yes. You were the 11th candidate. I was. They wouldn't let me do a recount. No matter. I, I just thought... I think it's fair to do that, especially when it was so... It was 300 and something, I think. And I thought, surely they would do a recount. Oh, no, it just went on and on. No, that's not... How, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. It must have been a, a, quite a, a shock for you or, a, you know, it's a come down anyway. They always well, it say, is. you know, it's all about the dismount. So what did you go and do then? I went and worked for my dad. <laughs> I started driving the, the um, forklift around the <laughs> I went back to the trucks for a while and that was great. And then, and then I had a very, very big relapse of depression. I had a fall. You know how people talk about people can get trauma from a fall? Well, I had one and it just, it was terrible. And that lap of depression was so bad. I was out for a year. I, I couldn't speak to anyone. I was in my bedroom most of the time. My children told me that was the year I cried all year. We tried to do as many things as we could together, but Mummy was always crying. It was awful, Megan. It was awful. And I had to go into hospital and uh, basically, if you like, rehabilitate. They called it the wacky wing. They said Mummy went to the... <laughs> I'm feeling very comfortable so about telling you all right. this. So no amount of medication, <laughs> exercise, it just was, you no. just couldn't get it right. I was taking my medication, I've always took, I have always taken my medication correctly. Probably 
I was a bit lax because there was one I was taking at the time was making me sick. So I was pulling myself like off of it. I wasn't seeing my psychiatrist because I knew that if she saw me, she'd put me in hospital. And I thought, I'm not going. Well, I went. And I'm not afraid to say this. I've, I've told lots of people. I underwent ECT. And, and that was one of the most incredible things in my life. And not just for me, but for my husband. Because I was not fit to give permission. He had to. But it's a remarkable treatment. I've had <sighs> women who have had really severe postnatal depression and it's the only thing that will bring them right. It's yes. not a first line yes. treatment, but it yes. is something that um, is not talked about very much, but certainly incredibly effective. Yeah. It was a miracle. And apart from that, I had prayer. And I totally kept believing in God that he'd bring me through it. And I still remember having a night where I just wanted to... I just basically fell out of the shower and I was on the on the floor and I'm thinking here I go again you know what's this what is this I'm 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 doing what I should be doing or and I I just remembered scripture of uh you will not understand this now but later you will and I thought wow now I tell people about it and I can help them so that's all part of the, the process. Mm. Look, I haven't even got to Ruby Charm School yet and what you're oh, doing now with your life still. and how you're helping um, other, other performers and young children. But as per usual, I've run out of time. Yes. So I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. These, yes. are, um, these are questions that I read in a rock magazine that they were asking Evan Dando from the Lemonheads. So oh, yes. I think yours will be a, a, lot, <laughs> a lot cleaner than his. In three words, I am. I am loved. That's one. Uh, oh, you want three of them. Okay, <laughs> I am blessed. I am me. Oh, how wonderful. Perfect. Loved, blessed <laughs> and me. If I'm frightened of anything, it's... The enemy. Who's the enemy, Ruby? Black dog. Ah, uh, depression. Yeah. Coming back. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. Fair enough. Sorry, that was two words. <laughs> no, you didn't, you didn't have a, um, a, a word limit on that one. Yeah. <laughs> if I could travel back in time, I'd set the controls for? Spending time with my dad. Any time with my dad. That would be where we'd go to. Beautiful. The last time I looked in the mirror, I thought... I'm all right. <laughs> if I had to leave a body part of mine to science, it would be? <laughs> Goodness. I'd leave all of them, I think. Um, I would leave my eyes. Explain. I would just pray that my eyes could help someone see what this this might make no sense but that they could see what you can't see but understand it's real that makes sense mm. Mm. if life has taught me one thing it's patience yeah 
you get through it yeah. in the end. Yeah. All right. My favourite person in the entire world is... Jesus. <laughs> Very good. All right. What's the song that can't keep you off the dance floor, Ruby? Oh. This is a big question oh, for you. I love it. I love it. Um, should I stay or should I go? The Clash. <laughs> I love that song. Should I stay or should I go? Yeah. Now. That's it. Now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you had to pick a royal, or who is your favourite royal? Now, this person doesn't have to be living, doesn't have to be British. Oh, okay. Any sort of royal. Um, Elvis. <laughs> perfect way to end the interview that is the funniest answer I have ever had you are gorgeous and with that I'll say thank you so much Ruby Slippers for being my guest on Big Little Small Talk we've been up and down the garden path and all around but it has just been such a joy hearing about where you've got where you've been through where you're going in your life and I'm sure that there's a whole lot more coming around the corner so thank Thank you for being my guest on Big Little Small Talk you beautiful girl (laughs) that's it for this week thanks for joining me on big little small talk i hope you can make the time to join me next week if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe on your favorite podcast app